Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Contractor Evolution. Let me ask you something. Have you ever crunched the numbers to figure out how many leads your business generates that then go completely unestimated? Or how many leads perhaps get estimated but then remain unsold? And how much lost revenue all that adds up to just in those two categories alone? The fact of the matter is most small businesses are wildly inefficient with their lead flow. Think about it. You would not dream of buying twice the materials you need for a project only to then abandon the leftovers in a pile. You wouldn't. So why do we do this with our marketing spend and our lead flow? Why do we recklessly burn and turn leads like they grow on trees? I'm not saying, by the way, that every single lead needs to be sold or it's a failure. I'm just pointing out that in most businesses, there is a constantly growing list of potential buyers who get little to no attention from our sales team because the sales team is too busy chasing the new leads. That is until those new leads become old leads and this whole pattern repeats itself. This is where a solid re rehash system comes into play. And I'm beyond excited to speak to Alan McKenna today, who is going to break it down for us. Rehash is more than just following up. It's a structured and strategized approach to extracting revenue from leads that we paid for, by the way, who either didn't pick up the phone, didn't buy, or just haven't bought in a while. Alan's rehash system called the Ultimate Rainmaker has captured altogether north of $100 million of lost revenue for many of the biggest brands in the home service and remodeling industry, including Renewal by Anderson, Kohler, and One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning. And today, he's here to make it rain. So let's dive in with Alan and learn about rehash. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Alan, it's good to see you, man. Welcome to Contract Revolution. Uh, great to have you. Very much looking forward to this conversation. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks, Benji. I appreciate you having me on the show. You have this term in uh, some of the material that I was reading called new lead addiction. So what is new lead addiction? Well, it's interesting because having been in the home improvement industry for 39 years, uh, what, what I've experienced with working with many, many companies, especially in the last 19 years I've been consulting, is that there's always this this urgency for new leads, new leads. We just we've got to have new leads, more new leads, more new leads, and to the to the detriment of actually looking and saying, hang on, what about the leads we've already got that we've already paid for? What can we do with those? And then you know, someone shows up to their door and says, hey, I've got this new lead source and it's doing this, and it's doing that, da, 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 da. Hey, you could just invest five grand, 10 grand, whatever the number might be. And they go, yeah, all right, yeah, we'll jump in and do that without looking at, I mean, I even had a client the other day, it's a new client where we just did an analysis of their marketing and we put everything on a spreadsheet. We look at everything and we say, okay, well, where is the, where are you getting the most ROI from? And then we look and we say, okay, well, this one's running at 7% marketing cost Okay, and this one's running at thirty percent marketing costs, and, and the guy, and the guy said to me, "Yeah, he goes, I, I just took that on because I thought, oh, you yeah, know, we need more leads, and I'm like, yeah, but you need to cancel that and spend the money in the seven percent marketing cost because you get more leads and they're more profitable. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's what I mean by the lead addiction is literally it's just it's all about the new leads and never and not really looking at hey, what am I, where am I spending? 
Uh, where am I spending money that's getting the most ROI? And number mm. two, what am I doing with the existing leads that I can go back and regenerate something from, that I can cultivate something, I can build a relationship, I can offer another product or have a second chance because maybe they didn't buy last year off of anybody else. So that's uh, mm -hmm. that's what I call the lead, the lead addiction, where they're just always chasing the next new lead. Is it an obsession with something new? Is it laziness on behalf of salespeople? Is it um, maybe a fear of bothering the lead because you call them too much? Because like, here's a good analogy. A builder, a home improvement company would not buy twice the amount of materials they need to complete a project and then just chuck half them, uh, you know, in the dump on their way home from the job site. That would not happen. But with lead flow... We, uh, we're way more frivolous and this is quite widespread. Like what, what you're saying is I, I've had this experience working in sales. We see this in the businesses we work with. So what's going on psychologically? Why are we so much more uh, frivolous when it comes to paying for and then wasting lead flow? Yeah, but there's, a, there's a couple of things here. One, um, they don't want they don't want salespeople to leave. So if there's a gap and they're like, oh no, we're kind of down on leads right now. Quick, let's throw more money at, at new leads. Let's, let's try and get instant leads today. So they're trying to find a lead source that can give them instant leads today, instant new leads. The other thing is a lot of companies they just don't have either the bandwidth or the understanding of how to regenerate or to reactivate past leads. It's just, you know, they just don't have the don't have the team to do it or they don't have the bandwidth to do it, et cetera. And that, and that comes down to, um, okay, it was easier to drive a new lead than it is to, to reactivate an old lead or to put yourself top of mind with, 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 an, with an old lead, as well as the fact of like, oh, well, they were, some people have the mindset, well, that was an old lead. That they, if they didn't buy, they're, not, they're never going to buy. Done. And they, and they write the thing off. But you'd be shocked at how many millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars are in those leads that can be literally regenerated, resurfaced, and uh, yeah. recaptured, should I say. Not to insult the salespeople listening, but it is not unlike a child with a toy. I'm reminded of a scene in Toy Story where I can't remember what character is like, I don't want to play with you anymore, and he throws it away to go get the new toy. Leads yeah. are kind of like that, where it's like, I call them twice, forget it. There's new things in the system. I'm going to call those, mm -hmm. and that's shiny, and that's exciting, and that feels fresh, and that's where I'm going to put my energy. And we're so quick to dismiss and discard and essentially do nothing with what could be very valuable leads that we have, in fact, paid for. You've done – I mean, you spent a lot of time doing this and implementing this system uh, into other businesses, coaching sales teams on how to do this. Do you have a sense for – uh, the volume, the quantity of available revenue in these sort of squandered lead category. And we'll break down sort of which is which and what to do with each. But sure. like just on mass, how much is how much is there for, for a potential entrepreneur to extract? I'm going to say there's across three different categories of leads, which I know we're going to get into in a moment. There's somewhere between 10 percent. And probably all the way up to 35, even 40 percent additional revenue, depending on the on the company's database. Um, but there's that much revenue that can be gleaned from leads that have been, uh, you know, bought bought in the past. Mm -hmm. 
10 to 40%. So even on the low end, a $2 million company can add $200,000 in revenue. Uh, Correct. Pretty, all, yeah. all, not, well, basically yeah. for free. Typically, there's one category that you can categorically get between 10 and 20% additional revenue like clockwork. Because What's that? I've done it. That is the demo no sale. So a demo no sale is someone that, you know, they had, the customer booked an appointment, the salesperson went out, they gave an estimate, it's a close lost, whatever, it's a demo no sale. Um, it's basically a bid that didn't go anywhere. That category there, 10 to 20% additional revenue can be picked up, and that is consistent. The other leads, it depends. Hey, some people never work their past customers. I have one client, by the way, who owned a siding company, and they owned a sorry, they owned a window company, owned a roofing company, and they never, they never cross marketed between their roofing customers to their windows or their window customers to their roofing. That I mean, there, there just alone, there's there's a massive amount of revenue that can be had uh, just in that given situation. But the demo no sales or the closed loss, there is so much revenue in there and there's so much instant revenue in there because those people are in the buying mode right now and and with a sequenced structured follow-up you can literally take that uh, and drive millions upon millions of dollars let's talk about the three buckets uh of untapped lead sources just uh, like on um let's just talk about them as on the whole sure. first and then i want to i really want to dive into this demo no sale or close lost category and what to do there but when you work with businesses what are the three kind of like you know hidden sectors that you encourage them to start looking at and, and building lists around Absolutely. So there's the demo no sale or close lost, however you want to categorize that. People basically that you gave a bid to that did not buy, and there's a way to follow up with them and, and get more revenue from them. The second thing is obviously existing customers. A lot of companies, some you know, many companies do something with their existing customers. A lot of companies don't do anything with existing customers. Um, and but there's another category that most people just miss the opportunity with. And it's a category that I call leads never worked or leads never booked. And these are leads basically where someone filled out a form on a website, a form at a home show. Um, they came in via a lead aggregator or whatever it might be. They tried to call three, four, five, six times, couldn't get to book an appointment with them. Uh. And those leads go in the database and they never see the light of day again. There's typically a massive amount of those leads in a company's database, and you can go back, run a camp, run simple campaigns into those type of leads and drive new appointments, literally. We just had a company where we just finished running a campaign. Um, uh, I know you're going to talk, we're going to talk about campaigns a little bit in a moment. We just finished running a campaign. We gleaned 668 people that raised their hand and said, I'm interested in this product in this time frame, from the thousands of leads that they had in this category called leads never worked. Mm. So it, it, it flat out works. And it's consistent that we typically get somewhere between 200 to 400 uh, people raise their hand from a simple campaign that just asks the question. 
So just to recap, it's like demo no sale close lost is a lead who was contacted, an estimate was set up, that estimate or quote or proposal was delivered to the Correct. client, but uh, they missed their follow-up call or maybe they did the follow-up call and they said, sorry, not right now, or we're going to get other quotes or we need to think about it more. There was an actual sales meeting that was conducted, but the, the contract did not move forward from there. Existing customers, pretty obvious. Those are people that we've done work for in the past, two years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. And then this mm -hmm. third one is leads never worked. And that is that category. I mean, we talk about the concept of lead slippage a lot. Uh, we have another episode where if you get, you know, a hundred, if you get a hundred leads, uh, yep. just to use nice round numbers, somewhere between 10 and 25 or 30 of those are not going to turn into, uh, are not going to turn into estimates. Now, some of that 10 to 25% is because you did a call, you asked some questions, they were in the wrong area, they didn't have a budget, they felt like they weren't the ideal candidate profile, and they were essentially closed, losted early because you don't want to waste your salesperson's time. And I'd actually consider that to be quite healthy for a for a sales oh, team sure. to do that. You definitely want to qualify strictly. But then there's this other group where it's like, they just didn't pick up. And after the third try, we we abandoned it and we went back to the fresh leads bucket. We did something else. And so we yeah. they, they did actually put their hand up and ask for work, uh, ask for a quote, but we never moved it forward from there. I've got a question for you. We kind of talked about like, you know, what new lead addiction is and, and what's going on psychologically there. I'm just maybe more curious in like the average archetypal company, like, what are can you speak to what the average contractor is doing with these three categories right now is it nothing is it something but it's maybe half baked and they're not trying that hard with it like where is the average person at with these with these untapped sources sure. i'm going to say that probably about 50 to 60% of companies don't do anything with demo no sales they literally just go they give bids and then they're on to the next new lead and and so on and so forth um I'm going to say probably 30 to 40 percent of people don't do anything with existing customers or companies. Um, and I'm going to say probably 70 percent plus don't do a lot with leads never worked. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a lot of there's a, there's so many leads that don't ever get they don't ever see the light of day again. You know, mm -hmm. they just see a CRM and that's it. And they are, you know, hundreds of dollars per lead and they're just gathering dust. Yeah. Um, and some some other company is going to pick up the ball and run with following up with these people yeah. and they become the brand, the recognized brand. They become uh, the contractor of choice. They go on to do additional work because they've got other products, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. 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 I think I, I, I'm so excited to dive into like the actual tactical side of this. Cause I like, you know, I, I come from sales and marketing world. Um, and I, you know what I, I think about right now is this, the, another analogy or visual is this idea of like regenerative braking like on super high performance race cars for example mm -hmm. when they hit the brakes to slow down the car there's a massive amount of energy that gets created in the heating up of the pads um mm -hmm. and all sorts of other kinetic stuff that's going on inside that vehicle which yep. for you know most of our time with vehicles was just lost. It went into thin air. We did nothing with it. More recently, we have the ability to, you'll see this on hybrid, you'll see this on more techie, like futuristic cars. When you hit the brakes, all that kinetic energy gets turned into a charge for the battery or for pow or power for some other part of the vehicle, some other part of the machine. 
Yep. I just, I like compelling visuals and analogies. This is sure. like that for a sales org. Where it's like, we're actually spending the money. We're putting in the energy to create this stuff. And we could just have all this waste go off there into nothingness, or we could install some systems like regenerative braking. This is like that to basically grab some of that energy back and do something Absolutely. with it for the vehicle that is our business. Yeah. Here's the thing as well with that, Benji, is that when you go, when you dip back into those to those lead sources, first of all, most other companies aren't doing it. So you're the one that does follow up, which means you're the one that will most likely get the business. But aside to that, every time you're buying, let's say you're buying a new lead from a lead aggregator, you're in there with three, four, five other people. But if you go back and you just regenerate an appointment out of a, a whole bunch of leads that you had in the past, you're the only person who's who's took the time to or mostly only the only person who's took the time to do that. So you so you recultivate that, and that it, it it should turn into a fairly simple sale. Demo no sale specifically, we have a very very high close rate through my system, um, where we get 40, 50, sometimes sixty and seventy percent close rate on demo no sales wow. because most companies aren't following up. The one company that does follow up and then gets back in the house, you know, there's a saying in the industry. Again, I've been in it for thirty nine years. The last person in gets the deal. Uh -huh. If you're the last person in because you took the time to follow up, then great. You you so you, you have so much massive such a massive chance of getting the deal. So I'm curious about this demo no sale category. What's the correct approach under like the you know your framework, like your brand, like Ultimate Rainmaker? Like what is your um, what is your strategy uh, for these demo no sale leads and how we revive them? So there's really five steps to this. One is um, let's pull a list. So the lists come in two. There's there's two sec two structures to this list. There's what I call current demo no sales, which is everybody you've seen in the last week or a week ago, should I say? And I'm going to come to that in a moment. And then there's past demo no sales. So right now we're you know we're at the end of May, but we can go back to um, we can go back to April, we can go back to March, we can go back to you know February, January, December, etc. We can go backwards in time, and you will find people that didn't make a decision. They didn't make any decision at all. It was just the wrong timing. There was something else going on in their life. They had some other place to put their money, so they didn't go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere at that time. But you follow up three months, six months, twelve months later. We even had one company, by the way, when we first started the rehash program. They said we don't want to touch anything that's newer than ninety days old. We want to go 90 days back, 91 days back and backwards. We wrote a quarter of a million dollars in six weeks from leads that were 90 days plus old. Wow. You know? So anyway, that being said, um, the two lists. So we've got the past demo no sales, current demo no sales. Now, what I've found is, in my experience with all my clients, the sweet spot for calling demo no sales is around five days after the initial bid. Now, in some industries, it's different. So HVAC... Even bathrooms, for some reason, um, three days is the sweet spot. But if you call too soon, it looks like a bait and switch because like, oh, heck, you know, why is this person calling me out and trying to offer me some other deal, X, Y, Z? Um, and if you call too late, then the chances are they've gone with another company already. So mm. typically there's that window of time. Why do you uh, think that is? Why Why is there a sweet spot? What Like there's... What's going on in the mindset of the customer that may, and you, sure. I, I know it's different from industry to industry, but the fact that there is an ideal time to kind of pounce on these. Do you, yeah. Have you thought about what's going on there? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, if, if, a, if a salesperson went out last night, gave a bid Tuesday, someone's calling up this morning or this afternoon, Wednesday, hey, listen, you know, I know, I know Jimmy came out to see you yesterday and XYZ, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, are, are, are you ready to do the project type right. of thing? It's like, well, hang on a sec. I haven't had time to think about it. You it's know, a bit we, 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 we went to bed last night late because he left and packed up his samples <laughs> and left, and we yeah. haven't even had time to digest that. Right. So when you, when you allow that little time window, three to five days, they get the cycle. Psychologically, they start their, their mind starts working on it. Oh, okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. Plus, if they get another estimates, they've had other estimates, but they're still not in the final decision main, uh, making uh, timeline. So, when you get to that three to five days, then you're more into that timeline. You book an appointment as close to that conversation as you possibly can. Go in, pick up the deal. What are you doing at this three to five day? Uh, may, actually, you know what? Maybe talk about the the campaign, like like broadly and then more specifically sure. what you're trying to push the client to do are you just saying hey do you want to do the deal now hey we got a discount hey can we come back and see you again like what what's the, what's the overarching campaign and then what are you trying to do around that sure. sweet spot mark yeah so that's that's actually that's a great segue because this is step number two step number one is pull the list as the past demo no sales the current demo no sales and step number two is have a compelling offer now, a compelling offer is not, hey, listen, we can reduce the price, right? That's not a compelling offer. Not really. That's like, oh, okay, well, why didn't you reduce the price last night? And, and you're not, you're not, you know, you're now telling me you can reduce, reduce the price today. So you need a compelling offer, you need a compelling reason that will allow those people to be able to go, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think that would be great. Now, I'll just tell you, on any of my scripting, the person on the phone who's booking the appointment never talks about money and never talks about percentages. They just talk about, hey, we've got a program, we can help you save some money, and we can make your project more affordable. Affordable being the key word, by the way. So, and obviously we've got, you know, the, 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 script, goes, the script is a lot longer than that, and it goes on with, uh, with, a, with a real solid reason and steps and structures and everything else that makes it compelling for the end user, but for the customer. But... We talk about making the project affordable. And who doesn't want to make their project affordable? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to make their project affordable. But affordable is nebulous. It's like there's no, there's no, it's not like, oh, we took a 20 grand job and made it 10 grand, which we never do, by the way. That's just ridiculous. Um, you know, we always choose to give off minimal amount of money, but affordability is typically made in payments and stuff like that. So anyway, that being said, you create a compelling offer. Then the third step, by the way, is choosing one person that you're going to dedicate and they will have a specific time slot during the day that they're going to call and book these leads. They're going to run through this scripting. They're going to call up, get on the phone with the people, run through the scripting and get the appointments scheduled. And then step number four, yep, step number four, is you either, you either have a, the same salesperson go back and do the rehash or most companies that do a one call close and hey, listen, you've got the lead, you've got one shot of the lead and then you're done, they're going to send a sales manager back, a field manager back, a senior sales representative back to pick up the deal. And what is right is only dependent on the company's culture. Sure. So the company culture determines which way is the best way to actually uh, you know, make that happen specifically. So that's step number four. Step number five is measure the success of everything and see how you can optimize. And they're the, they're the five steps to being able to rehash something 
and okay. get the most revenue from it. I got a, a lo lot to pick apart here. So who should be doing these calls? You said there's a dedicated person in the office or inside the business who should be doing this, who should be really kind of methodically churning through these lists with some sure. rigor, with some discipline, uh, with some consistency. So mm -hmm. is there kind of an ideal person on the org chart inside a business who should be responsible for this? Yeah, I mean, typically someone's going to take someone internally. They're going to say, oh, look, we've got three people in a call center, five people in a call center, or 25 people in a call center. Let's let's peel off this one person. Now, in smaller companies, it's going to be a very part-time thing. So that person can still be booking appointments or whatever. And then they say, oh, look, between four and six, I'm going to call rehash or whatever the, whatever the time frame is, depending on the number of leads they have. Other companies that are larger, and you know, I work with companies that are doing up to $300 million. They've got three, four people on the phone that are calling all day that, that to try and get these people because they've got thousands of demo no sales on a monthly basis. Now, when I say if you're going to hire someone, I would say hire a customer service type person versus a cold telemarketer. And the reason being is because that conversation is much more customer service orientated than it is a are you interested? Are you interested? Are you interested? It's not that kind of call, you know? We're not trying to badger someone into being interested. We're trying to navigate a conversation to bring that person back into a second appointment, a second chance opportunity, basically, to be able to uh, serve that, serve those people. And it's all about service. It's about serving these people on the highest level. How can we do the right job for someone rather than go to, you know, Billy with a ladder and a truck <laughs> down the street who's probably going to, you know, take a deposit, may not be seen for three weeks, come back, do a half-baked job, charge you more money anyway, you know, over time, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you want to serve the people correctly, then I would, then doing the follow-up is of utmost importance and people will thank you for it. So, Second question is you call that like a second chance opportunity and this dedicated uh, this dedicated person inside the business who could, by the way, be an office manager. It could be mm -hmm. uh, it could be an inside salesperson. It could be the owner of the business if it's a really small business. They are yeah. trying to um, they are trying to get the client, the demo no sale to agree to a second chance opportunity where somebody goes back in person. Now that somebody depends on the company. It could be the account executive or the salesperson that went out there the first time. It could yep. be a sales manager. It could be someone completely different, but it's important. It's important that it's done in person. This is, we're not trying to negotiate a closed deal over the phone. We're trying to get them to agree to have someone back out. Now, when that person goes back out, can I just pause you there, Ben? Sure. Because sometimes there is a case for doing it over the phone. Some oh, companies okay. have a massive geographic territory and it's like three hours to drive back to that appointment. So I do have some companies in the middle of the country where their geography is so massive that they literally sell a hundred grand a month over the phone. They've got someone that's a negotiator. That's a different type of person. Mm. That's not your customer service person. That's not someone you pluck from the call center. That's someone that is inside sales, that has sales ability, mm. that can negotiate on the phone and do that. Now, they may even have someone, or some companies do have someone, where they've got the, someone who's going to schedule the appointment, but they're scheduling an appointment with someone to get on the phone, negotiate it over the phone, do digital contracts, mm. and get it on like that. That's not how most companies do it. That, but there are some companies that do it that way just because of the geography being so, you know, huge. 
Fair enough. So in some instances, they do it over the phone. In most instances, they do it in person. What is the offer that's being made at that second chance opportunity? Is it, you know, hey, we can make this more affordable. Customer says, okay, cool. I'm interested. Send them over. When mm-hmm. when he or she arrives, what are they essentially rehashing in person? What are they? How are they repitching, reframing, creating this new yeah. compelling offer so that's it, that they say, yeah, you know what? Five days ago, we weren't in. Now we are. Sorry, five days ago we weren't one. What what is the salesperson like offering or saying yeah. or rehashing that makes the customer go, hey, five days ago we were not in, but now we are. Oh, we weren't in, yeah. Right, yeah. Well, a couple of things. It's it's not even so much the thing, it's the timing makes a difference, right? Because five days ago, you know, they'd just seen you for the first time, you're the first company, then they saw company two the next day and company three the next day, or they'd already seen a couple of companies and you were the last last company and they would kind of digest everything. Now they've had time to kind of think about it and they're kind of weighing up, oh, this company's good and that company's good and whatever else. But we like this company. Yeah, we'll give them a, another chance to come back in and see. But the salesperson inherently is going back and they're, and this is, this is a really key point, by the way. When salespeople go back in on rehash, they have to recap the job that they had quoted for. The reason being is if they've had two or three other estimates, that person might have changed their mind. Oh, we changed it. We didn't want a sliding door there anymore. We want to go with a French door with two side panels. All of a sudden, the cost just went up tremendously, right? Or they went from to a French door and two side panels. I'm using Windows as an example, obviously. Um, down to a sliding door, the cost went down dramatically. So this, so you've got to be making sure that you're apples to apples to what the people really want at the end of the day, rather than going, yeah, well, your bid was too high. Okay, well, let's take a look, da 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 da. And then you realize, oh, hang on, they're not doing that garden window off the kitchen, or they're not doing that. They're doing kitchen refacing rather than kitchen replacement or whatever it might be, okay? Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's all those scenarios. By recapping the work and really fully understanding with the client, this is the project you ideally want, this is what we're going to work with, then that's a new jumping off point to say, okay, let's work out a deal. Typically, salesperson's giving away a little bit of their commission. Um, They've got a reason for that, that they're giving the customer, which that can be anything. We have many different offers that we roll out with companies so that there's there's consistency and there's value in that specifically. Mm. Um, And then affordability is made in payments. And by right. the way, most super successful companies have a very, very high conversion with payments. You take one of the largest window companies in the country that does a billion or a couple of billion dollars, 70% of their work is done on payments. Wow. You take big you take massive HVAC companies that are doing 300, 400, 500 a million dollars and they use payments and affordability is made in payments i can't tell you the times i've listened to recorded calls of someone doing rehash and they say oh will you offer their monthly investment option and the customer sales the potential customer says no if you'd offered me that i would have gone ahead with the project and i'm like wow of all the hundreds of thousands of calls that are being made on rehash and i happen to listen to 20 random calls from a company and I'm like, that blows me away that I found two people in this 20 that said, well, if I was offered payments, I would have gone ahead with it. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So a couple things I want to recap here. A big part of it, I'm glad you brought it up. A big part of it is the timing. The customers had time to digest. Mm-hmm. They've had an open look at maybe one or two other contractors who've come over and give them a bid. Um, yep. They've slept on it. 
and they are now maybe have more context or maybe they have less price sensitivity or maybe they have more price sensitivity, whatever. The, the point is there's like an internal dialogue for the consumer that has likely changed in the time between that initial meeting and this second meeting. So you want to pounce on that second meeting strictly for the timing's sake. But the other part you're saying is that while there, you are doing basically two things. You're offering what sounds like a like quite a small discount. Like, is it ten percent? Is it five percent? Is it two percent? Like a small discount. Uh, three, three to five percent. Okay, three to five percent manageable. That comes out of the commission of the salesperson, and typically, then typically, typically, and then you're also structuring it in payments uh, to make it more affordable. So I have two questions mm-hmm. about that. One. Are salespeople game to go back and pick up a job for that's going to be a lower commission? Uh, like, are, do they not kind of stick their nose up at that? And then, secondly, what do you do in instances where there was financing or payments offered the first time? Uh, is it just the discount? How does that? You know, if if there if people are offering sure. financing options quite often now on that initial meeting, mm-hmm. that maybe removes one of the plays that you can make at the second meeting. So I kind of jumbled the questions yeah. there. But first is, will salespeople yeah. do it? Second, what do you do if financing was already offered? Ninety percent of salespeople will go and do it because right now they have zero from that lead, and they can go back on a very short appointment. They're not going to go back and do another two hour pitch, three two and a half hours or anything like that. They could be in and out in thirty to forty five minutes. So yes, most people are. Some salespeople aren't, by the way. And that really shocks me because it's like, hey, if, if, if I'm sending a $20,000 job and I've got to give away $600 to go get it, I'm still going to make $1,400. Or if I give away 1000 to get it and I'm still going to make $1,000, why would I not want to pick, why would I not want to spend 30 minutes of my time picking up $1,000? Right. And by the way, my, my question to those sales, salespeople is, what would your wife say if you said, I'm not prepared to go pick up that $1,000? <laughs> So anyway, I mean, I'll say it jokingly, obviously. So, um, so that's 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 number one. And by the way, for the salespeople that aren't willing to go and do that, we will send another rep back and let them go and pick up the money. Right, or send right. the sales manager. Let Somebody's going to get money. it. Yeah. Someone's always willing to go pick up money. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Here we are. There's a table with a stack of with a stack of bills on it, and we're prepared to go and get the money. So that's the first part of your question. The second part of your question, which was just remind me. It's, yeah. Second part was like if financing or or a payment well, structure yeah. was okay. already offered on the initial yeah. meeting, what do you do on that second meeting? What's the what's the unique offer on that second meeting in that case? So, so here's here's another thing that's very interesting about financing. So in the US, in Canada, um, there are a lot of companies have. 12 months, same as cash, 18 months, same as cash, even 24 months, same as cash. Most salespeople think that's selling finance, but it's not. It's presenting an option to pay at some future point, but the $20,000 job is still going to come due at some point, right? Affordability is not making a $20,000 job 19.5 19.5 or 19.4, affordability is making a $20,000 job $160 or $200 a month or whatever the number might be. Right? Mm-hmm. So when the fight, first of all, most companies only present, uh, or a lot of salespeople, should I say, only present the same as cash because it's an easy thing to present and, it's, and it sounds cool and they think people are just going to go for it, but that doesn't make the job sound more affordable. 
Second thing is, even if a salesperson did present payments and they're very good at presenting payments, there are other options that are available that have longer terms that have reduced payments that you can bring back. I have ways that when I train companies, creative ways to make things affordable. Let me mm -hmm. give you an example of that. When I was last selling in the industry in the early 2000s, I was selling $45,000, $50,000 sunrooms. It didn't matter to me that Four Seasons or 38,000 and Pattern Enclosure were 32,000 or whoever, whichever company, it doesn't make any difference. Because I would make the project more affordable because I was creative with payments. And that could be a regular financing, a regular home improvement financing option, or it could be, hey, there are other options out there. What other thing can we find to make your project affordable? Because I knew they wanted my product over anybody else's product. I just had to find a way to make it affordable. Mm -hmm. So there's some of the things that we train into companies to make sure that they have a tool belt full of tools that they can say, ah, oh, I know where this fits. This fits over here. Because by the way, some people are going to say, hey, listen, I just can't afford to do this right now, Benji, because we bought a kitchen last year and uh, we're still paying $275 a month on that. And until that's paid off, we can't afford to buy your patio room or your deck or your windows or your bathroom or whatever it might be. Well, get creative. That's what I say. Could get one creative. of the tools could one of the tools on the belt um be creatively and strategically changing the scope of the work that was in, offered in the first place so that it still Absolutely. sells really well, but it you just, hey, you know what? You make a a slight tweak to this window package, you make a small change to this warranty, we take this little thing off which you, you know, mm -hmm. said in the first place it was was a want to have, not a need to have in the first place. And now all of a sudden this, you know, you know, this is 25% less and we'll do a, a more creative uh, approach to the, to the payments or what have you. So you're saying it's not, it's not just like a, you know, if it's not just like a one size fits all, if everything, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. There's actually like some real creative thinking, some critical thinking, mm -hmm. some problem solving on the part of the salesperson. If they're good at this to, uh, you know, all signs point to make it more affordable. There's a few different right. ways to skin that cat is what I'm hearing you say. 100%. Yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. That's really, really interesting. And what's like, what's the success rate on these rehash appointments? Like if, uh, if somebody set up the systems and they, they got the list, they got the offer figured out or a few different offers figured out, they had a dedicated person. And with that dedicated person, they were able to set up a hundred second chance appointments. Like how many of those are they landing? Well, there's a hundred second chance appointments that actually sat if you actually went yeah, to yeah. visit those hundred people. Yeah. 50%, 50 okay. five, five zero is the number that across the board, that's what we typically get. Some companies are getting 35, 40%. Some companies are getting all the way up to 70% mm -hmm. as a close rate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it ever difficult to convince the prospect? Is it ever difficult to convince that demo no sale to take the second meeting? Are they reluctant? Are they like, yeah, sure, send, send them out? No, they're, they're, there's, 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 there's always reluctance. I mean, not always. There's, there's a lot of reluctance. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you already came back out. I don't think, you know, you're not even in my ballpark or whatever it might be. So there's there's a lot of things like that. And the great thing is the way that we've, you know, especially in the last three or four years, we've structured so many rebuttals for people to understand, hey, listen, if you don't do this now, chances are a year from now, this is going to cost you thousands of dollars more because of inflation. Yeah. So then, you know, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's many different ways to be able to, 
talk to people to and we're not trying to we're not trying to overly convince people we're just trying to educate people so they sure. can make a a great decision yeah i mean this is look this is like scrappy ground game selling which i think that a lot of people sleep on and and some people will think it's not for them or it's not worth it or it's not going to work or whatever but like this is how um, you know, I think that there are extreme cases in the sales kind of guru world where people are maybe too dogmatic about the idea of the sale starts with no, uh, the, the sale begins when they say no and this and that. Like, this isn't like hardcore aggressive. This is just like, there is a massive pool of leads building up inside our system. And if I pull the list, I come up with a compelling offer, a few compelling offers. I have a dedicated person methodically calling those people to send out a second, a second chance appointment and at that appointment we're able to restructure the deal right mm -hmm. and then we measure success those are the five steps like we we will extract you know 10 percent or more of revenue that would otherwise be completely lost so yep. i i love it it's a really really good overview of the demo no sale i want to hit these other two buckets quickly while i've got you today so yeah, when it comes let me to just close out on one point though, sure. with benji with, with demo no sale See, a lot of companies think a lot of companies won't do it because they think they've just got to give away so much money. It's not what's the point? We're going to, it's going to be unprofitable jobs. But here's the truth: if a salesperson goes back, they give away some money out of their commission, whatever it is, three percent, five percent, could be more. I don't know, but for the most part, three to five percent is enough. The company is still making the same profit on that job, plus they're recouping their marketing dollars. Right now, most companies are spending ten to fifteen percent on marketing. So, if you send, a, if you get a twenty thousand dollars job, you got two thousand dollars back. You can spend on leads that literally you spent to get that lead in the first place. Right, so you're recouping marketing dollars plus. With all of your regular sales, your overhead is already covered. So the rehash, which is over and above, is highly profitable because your because your overhead's already covered. Yeah. So most people don't think how profitable rehash can be, or they don't do it the right way. Therefore, it's not profitable because they look at the job and they go yeah let's bottom this thing out and take the take the deal off the market and they're making like 300 bucks and and then one mistake and it's all over they're underwater um I, I i totally get what you're saying and it's a good point like if you are thinking that by giving a discount which by the way your salesperson is going to have come out of the commission anyway but even even if let's say you were to just offer that discount and you took the three yeah. percent hit what you're forgetting is that that lead is already paid for and the other job where you don't take the three percent hit you spent x amount to get the lead and, and set up the appointment in the first place so that is where mm -hmm. the savings come in and that is why these are way more profitable and you do have the room and the margin to essentially offer that so uh yep. totally makes sense to me to talk to me a bit about previous customers and then this deals never worked bucket what works for them um you know there's many campaigns so with a system that we have which is called rainmaker um we have campaigns where we have something like a the survey campaign survey campaign is real simple we we go out we send four messages Two texts, two emails, and it's a it's a it's a survey. So we have a mobile mobile online survey that they can take. But we go back and say, hey, what's the next home improvement? As, a, as someone we've met before in the past, what's the next home improvement project you'd love to do? And then they click through to. Oh, and by the way, we'll give you a five hundred dollar friends and family gift card if you just take the survey uh, for you to use on any project X Y Z. 
So then they go in, they take the survey. The survey is, oh, you know, we do windows, siding, roofing, kitchens, bathroom, whether they click on whichever link that's uh, relevant to the product they're interested in. And then they click on a second question, which is when they're thinking about doing it as soon as possible, within three months, within six months, within 12 months. And then those leads, they're people, they're hand raises. They're people that say, yeah, I'm interested. I'm still interested or I'm, you know, I'm interested in another product since you came out and saw me previously about something, something different. Um, so that's a very simple thing. Then we have then we have campaigns that run um, for the spring. We have end of summer campaigns because summer is typically a quieter time for many home improvement companies. The obviously the holidays around Christmas time is quieter for most home improvement companies. So we have an end of year campaign, but it's just about putting different compelling offers in front of these leads never worked and these past customers to be able to react. First of all, to keep your company top of mind, and second of all, to be able to reactivate them into a, into another appointment. You know, um, and that's that that's really as kind of simplified as I can make it yeah. you know, for for our conversation purposes. When you say campaign, just for our maybe non-marketer folks, like, can you just describe what that is? Is it a, is it an, e is it a email sequence? Is it a text sequence? Phone, uh, you know, series of phone calls, a combination of all three. Just maybe define yep. campaign uh, the way that you're describing it. Yeah. So a campaign is multiple steps. It could be, uh, you know, email, phone, uh, or email, text, and then a phone call. It could be mm -hmm. email, direct mail. A text and then and then a phone call. There's there's a combination of things depending on the campaign. It depends on what we're going to use to be able to drive the uh, the best response from that. Now, a lot of people might go, "That sounds like a whole bunch of work. I got stuff to do." How how easily can these things that you just rattled off? You just mentioned survey campaigns with the, uh, maybe you're offering a discount, a gift card campaign, a referral campaign, end of year like a see a seasonal one. Um, yep. like what, you know, how, how automated can that be? Can we, can we set that up using our CRM or using our marketing and our automation so that it's just basically whirring away in the background while we go do other stuff? Sure. Yeah. If people have the right marketing automation, they need the right marketing automation to make that happen. Then once it, once it's set up, once the, once the campaign is written, the cop, the copy that's written in the campaign is, is utmost important because if an email doesn't get opened, it's, it's never, it's never going to get read. So you need that you need to have a good, good structured opening lines. You need good body copy, good images in there that, that attract people into the product, et cetera. Um, and once, but once you've set that sequence up, it's run. You can now run that again next year or this campaign you ran in the spring you can run in the fall or the end of year campaign you can readapt and run as an end of summer campaign or whatever it might be so there's different opportunities to do that mm -hmm. but you need the right software to be able to do that uh, obviously mm -hmm. marketing automation to be able to do that and you need someone skilled in copywriting that can create such a campaign that will be compelling where most companies fall down is they they the things that they put out there are just they suck um, they're so bland. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> yeah. They suck. They're, they're, they're so bland. Yeah. No, I, we, we, <laughs> just, we just had a very gifted conversion copywriter on the podcast a few weeks ago to talk about this exactly because I sure. think that in the, in the blue-collar business space, not there's not a super – and this is like to, to be expected. It's not I'm not knocking anyone, but there just isn't a super sure. developed or nuanced understanding of why sure. copywriting matters and where to do it and how to do it well. So anyway, it's, just, it's interesting to hear you mention that as well. Like we brought on someone to talk exactly about sentence structure, et 
extracting pain, writing with empathy, how to make compelling CTAs that people click on, stuff like that. So um, that is obviously a huge part of it. Um, I want to, I do want to wrap this conversation up, but there's, a, I think, an important question to, to close on. Like we've we've talked about this whole idea of extracting revenue out of out of leads you already paid for. It's a hyper efficient, quite easy, very profitable way to boost your top line. You've been in this industry for 39 years. I'm sure, and you've, I'm sure you've seen it all. What advice do you have? You never say it all. <laughs> a lot, then. What advice do you have for sales leaders, sales teams, sales people heading into a changing market? Uh, number one thing really is to, if you get with a sales team, I did this recently actually with a client that I don't, I don't go and visit too many clients, but I went and visited this client in Atlanta and I sat down with their sales team before I went into any kind of training, any kind of conversation. I said, tell me what your goals are. I want to know what you want, what your goals are. Okay, how much do you want to sell? How much, or how much do you want to make? First of all, how much do you want to make? How much? Do you have, how much do you need to sell, etc. And then the number one question is, why do you want that? Because unless they have a compelling reason for wanting that level of income, hundred grand, quarter million, whatever the number might be, then they don't know what their driver is. And if the sales manager knows that, they can keep pointing that out. Hey, listen, I know you said you want to, you know, take your family to Hawaii on a cruise, whatever it might be, whatever the thing is, or buy a new house or put your kid in private school, whatever the case may be, then they can help and support that salesperson in getting those goals by keep reminding them of, hey, this is why you're doing this. That internal motivation is a key thing, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's too too many companies. They hire a salesperson, they drive, they train the salesperson, they put the salesperson out in the field, but they never know what that salesperson's you know hot points are, what their hot buttons are, what their key drivers are, uh, and it's a key, it's a key thing to know. Mm -hmm. The second thing with with sales leaders is if you oversaturate a salesperson with leads, you'll get a lower a lower conversion. And I had a client of mine. They went from doing 60 million to doing 100 million through uh, the last two years of the pandemic. And they figured it out. Hey, we're better off hiring more salespeople that run two leads a day than having less salespeople running three leads a day. Because the people that are running three leads a day, they can't even remember who they saw three days ago because they're running so many leads and their close rate doesn't turn out as well. And if one of them goes down for whatever reason, gets sick, um, has to take time out for whatever reason, now you're down a performer that you've been pumping three leads a day into. So less leads actually turns into more sales some of the time when things slow down a bit because people start getting more, um, there's a scarcity of like, oh, hang on, I've only got one opportunity to make money here. I, should, I need to jump on, the, jump on this and make money uh, specifically. The term I've heard that I like, uh, I picked this up from our friend Ryan Groth. I don't know if he coined this or or he or he stole it from somewhere else, but the term he uses a lot is like, "Oh yeah, yeah, your team is drunk on leads." 
uh, mm-hmm. which I think is a good way to put it. Did, would you make the case that, you know, the last f- five, six, seven years, 2016 to 2021, 22, you know, COVID was scary for business owners for about a month. And I think we can all enjoy it got pretty good for home service businesses and, and contractors yeah, because people were at home and everyone was flush with cash. Um, do do you think that that people have been drunk with leads and and is the party coming to a close? I do believe people have been drunk with leads, but and the companies have grown so massively, so it wasn't it wasn't like they needed to like super optimize uh, because because literally they were tripping over sales. People couldn't wait to spend the money on right. the next home improvement project, so the Correct. close rates were high. Close rates were high anyway, but there was this abundance, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, companies did go from. Uh, you know, they doubled their revenue, they tripled their revenue in in that space of time. Now companies need to pay attention to, hang on, is my overhead structured correctly because I geared up during this time? And I'm not saying anybody needs to shrink in size. I've got companies that are massively continue to grow, but they grow from efficiency, not from drunkenness, maybe, as, as you might put it right. They're not growing from that, well, hang on, we were getting all these leads, but now we're not. So what do we do? You know, and they, But they don't look at the efficiency of everything. So when you, if you scale to efficiency, or if you bring bring everything back to efficiency and then scale from there, you can continue to grow. Are there some companies, some industry, or so? It's really I tell you where it is. It's it's more regional than it is industry specific. Mm. So there's certain parts of the country where all of a sudden they are screaming for leads. There's other parts of the country they're still flush and they've still got more work than you can than you can do. I just renovated an entire house down in Florida. Um, and then sold it, and we, like some of these companies, like, hey, listen, we can't come do anything with you for six months. That simple. Kitchens, bathrooms, whatever it might be, they just they just couldn't do anything. Now we managed to find the right people that could just kind of slip in between other things they were doing. They were builders in between building a house, whatever sure. it might be. But there are still there are still regions where things are just fruitful. It's just going crazy, still going crazy. And there's other parts where. All of a sudden, you know, things went up and they've kind of crashed down a little bit and leads have become more scarce. And some That's of the, really interesting. Some do, of the, do you have a sense? Do you have a little men- mental map for where it's still booming and, and where it's maybe contracting a little bit? I, I don't. There's there's no I can't even say East Coast, West Coast or, you know, in the south it's booming. But in the north, you know, northern part, right, it's, right. It's, it's, it's quietened down. It's it's really it's even more than regionally specific. It's much more kind of state and city specific sometimes. City by city. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, interesting. it's, it's so interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, but it follows, a lot of it follows the real estate market. So if there's a decline in the real estate market and all of a sudden, it, but, you know, I mean, real estate has obviously softened. So mm. that made, that's made a difference. By the way, that's made a difference positively as well as negatively. So it's made a difference because people are saying, uh, yeah, well, I'm not going to move. I've got a 3% mortgage. I'm not going to go anywhere. I might as well do some home improvement. And or now they're looking and saying, well, you know, I've got my house, but I've, you know, it's the the the, the, the future's uncertain. I'm not going to spend the money or the, or the interest rates are too high on loans and stuff like that. They're not going to do it. So it's kind of this double-edged sword. But a lot of people are doing home improvements because they are not moving because they're 3% mortgage. They don't want to go and buy another house and then yeah, why would have you? a 7 8% mortgage. Doesn't make sense. 
Totally. Uh, I love this, man. This was this was so good. And I think like very linear, very structured, very tactical. The whole idea here is to extract revenue from leads you already paid for, become hyper efficient and then scale from there. If people want to get in touch with you, Alan, where did they do that? Sure. They can go to ultimaterainmaker.com. We'll link that com. in the description. Yep. Yeah, we'll link that. Okay. Dude, thank you for being here. Really appreciate the time today. This was a ton of fun. We'll have to have you back soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. It's fun being here. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.